Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. Hey there, it's Michelle Norris. I'm host of a podcast called Your Mama's Kitchen. When I travel, I'm usually looking for a way to find a taste of home when I'm not at home. And one of the things I love to do when I am at home is entertain. And Airbnb allows me to do that. When I was in California recently, I rented a house that had a great kitchen. And when we were sitting around the table, we're all thinking, we're in someone else's house. Someone could be in all of our homes as well. If you have a home, but you're not always at home, you have an Airbnb. Your home might be worth more than you think. Find out how much at airbnb.com slash host. Hello and welcome to Black British Lives Matter, the podcast. I'm Lenny Henry. And I'm Marcus Ryder. Uh, this is the podcast where we explore why and how Black British Lives Matter acknowledging and dealing with the racism we face, but wanted to go far deeper than that, exploring what it means to be black and British, our culture, our joy and our pain, and building on our book, Black British Lives Matter, available now in all good bookshops. Marcus, tell us what you've been up to and what we have in store today. Well, Lenny, as you know, sometimes we do the podcast together and sometimes I fly solo and bring back a real gem of a conversation. Today is one of those precious gems. As I looked at the subject of Black British art matters. Wallan, 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 art covers a multitude of sins, my friend. I'd like to think of this podcast as a work of art. Our podcast is obviously a work of art, and I hope that one day it will be piped through the corridors of the VA or the Tate or I don't know, name a gallery. But I focused on visual art and mainly paintings. To help me do that, I had two fantastic guests. Who do you have then? <laughs> Thank you. First, I had Ashton Atz, a black non-binary painter and illustrator who is on almost every art critic's one-to-watch list. Ash has been commissioned by the likes of Instagram, Tate, Tottenham Hotspurs, Universal Music, to name but a few. And in 2018, they won the coveted Evening Standard Art Prize for the painting of transgender swimmers called Don't Stay in Your Lane. <laughs> nice. The second guest was Rihanna Jade Parker an art critic, curator and researcher based in South London, where she studied her MA in Contemporary Art Theory at Goldsmiths College. An artist herself and founding member of the interdisciplinary collective Thicker Black Lines. Nice. Her first book, A Brief History of Black British Art, was published by Tate in 2021 and is possibly, I think she is the best person I could think of to talk about the importance of why black British art matters. Dude, that sounds fantastic. Let's listen to the conversation. Roll tape! So, Ashton Atz, Rihanna Jade Parker, welcome. The name of our book and podcast is Black British Lives Matter. So we usually start by asking our guests the most simplest of questions. Why does black British art matter? Let's start with you, Rihanna. Nice and simple, I matter. So everything I produce matters. Least of all, when I'm coming from a place that's marginalised and targeted, then this should be especially acknowledged that I got to do something despite of 
So Black British art matters because we're here and what we make matters. Okay. That's a nice question. Nice answer, Marla. For sure, for sure. Why does Black British art matter? I would say that, you know, art in general is something that I don't feel gets the um the hype that it deserves in the sense that you know really from when we're at kids at school art is one of those things that we're sort of told um you know don't do that it's not going to get you anywhere it's you're not going to get a job with art I think it's misunderstood um and I think you know it's the sort of thing that it you know you you can have a fantastic career being an artist and I think, you know, some of the best people I know out there are, are black British artists. You know, a lot of my friends, uh, you know, and myself included, we all, you know, we're all um, black and we're all artists and we're all doing, you know, as best as we can. So I think that, you know, like anyone else, I think art, artists and art deserves, um, you know, the, you know, the celebration that it deserves. All right. Wonderful. Rihanna, you wrote the book... A Brief History of Black British Art? Yes. So can you talk us through some of the most important artists and and maybe the milestone moments that we should know when it comes to black British art? I'll start with the milestone. I I realise that could be about... It could uh, be. Could could go on for a long time, so... Yes, so I'll read it in time and place. Um, It's easy to consider black life in England beginning in at Tilsbury with the docking of this boat, which was not the first boat, it was actually the third. There's a reason why it was fixated on as a fanfare moment. Talking about Peter the wind Fry, rush. Windrush, sorry, that precious word, windrush. <laughs> Before then, there was a generation of black people here in general, least of all artists. The Caribbean artist movement was both a visual and literary significance for Caribbean people, started by John the Rose, Andrew Silky and Kamai Brathwaite, who at that time were continuing to assert themselves and attempt to retain their culture whilst in post-war Britain. Significant amount of time, I want to say six years, at least six to eight years of good, consistent programming and content for themselves. This really so this was before the Windrush? This was before Windrush. Okay. Um, they're there, but as more people are coming, they get to formalise themselves and name themselves, being based out of what we now know as New Beacon Books and Cascade Art Centre, which no longer exists. It was the first black art centre in Britain. And between all of these spaces, they were changing their position and output against what was needed. So as you go into Windrush times, they are still there, continuing to organise, not under a name, and then eventually under a name. The Black British Arts Movement of 1980s is a milestone for most people. That's where we typically start, with the interventions made by young art students, Keith Piper, Lubaina Himid, Eddie Chambers... The list will go on. I don't want to admit people who in 1982 staged the first national convention for black art. Um, where they were f- questioning both, they said, the form, function and future of black art in this country. And these were probably first generation born and a mix of very young migrants who were not post-colonial subjects in the way that Kamal Braithwaite was. So it's starkly different. So you had the first generation being kind of Caribbeans living in Britain. Mm-hmm. And then, and those are the people that are coming just before Windrush and coming just after Windrush, mm-hmm. obviously. And then you're looking at artists which were emerging in the 1980s, coming, uh, you know, coming into adulthood in the 1980s or so. And those are black people that are actually born here or, or came yeah. to Britain at such a young age that they don't remember the West Indies or, in exactly. you know, any other country. Okay. 
Exactly. That's what we know the most of. This is what has been now acknowledged consistently in the last 10 years in a way to rumorate the misacknowledgements in the art world. It's nice, good, kind of to start with, but it's not the beginning. Since then, which I'm skipping a big chunk of history there, what happens after the 80s up until the noughties when we have the young British arts movement that is very white to male. Christopher Lee becomes like the one loose black associated person with it. And then you have a bunch of individual successes. We no longer have a movement. So you had the Brit art movement. Yep, and you young had British Chris, art movement. But you had Chris Ophelia. Being the one black member. And I say yeah. member very loosely. So just to, just to recap, um, you're talking about individual artists, but they were attempts to be a collective. I'd like to think there were some attempts, yes. Some attempts, yeah. Spoken and, and unspoken, there were but, attempts, yeah. But a lot of it has often been... Um, the exception rather than, than yes, the rule. Always the exception, okay. which unfortunately created like a mentality of scarcity. There can only be so many successful black writers at one time because they will never allow space for dozens of us, least of all dozens who align themselves as the so collective. There's one Steve McQueen, there's one only one Lynette, there's one Chris, there's and one. We have to deal with that for another 40 years until they allowed it to be a one this and a one. And we, it doesn't seem like it's going to continue that way. That's okay. my one shot of hope. Okay. Well, it's good to be hopeful. <laughs> good to be hopeful. I like, I like hope. Um, Ashton, do you recognise any of those artists that, that Rihanna yeah, was, was mentioning? Um, and who've, who has inspired you? Yeah, sure. Um, I hope I pronounce uh, their name correctly. Um, Rihanna, maybe you can, like, you know, correct me if I I'm wrong. I also learnt my accent from the BBC, you know? Okay. <laughs> It's um, don't worry, Violet. But Violet, Kunanzi Violet, yes, and Lubaina Himid. So both of those artists were two artists that I actually visited uh, exhibitions of back in around like 20, 2017, 2018, I'd say. Um, I hadn't actually found my own style as an artist yet. Uh, I'd literally just started uni, like my first year of uni. And I remember walking around, uh, it was like Bond Street in London, so like kind of near Oxford Street. And I just kind of like stumbled into a, into a gallery um, and uh, I saw like, you know, some of their work and it was honestly incredible. And then I went up to Liverpool as well back in, I think probably around 2018. Um, and I saw uh, Lubaina Himid's work um, and I thought they were really cool. I really liked the the sort of colours and the sort of cutout style. I thought that was really interesting, something I hadn't really seen much of before. Um, and I think, you know, it was nice because, you know, I, I guess the thing that made me start what I was doing was a little mantra, I guess, that I came up with was, you know, I always wanted to create artwork that people would look at and feel seen or, like, see themselves in, 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 in artwork and, you know, I remember just walking down the street in London, um, Liverpool as well, just sort of stumbling into these galleries and seeing both these artists work and thinking how, how cool it was and how, you know, cel- like how much of a celebration it was um, to see just sort of like black people, people of colour just sort of existing. Um, it wasn't sort of really, you know, big and grand. It was just sort of like everyday scenes, which is something that I really, really liked. Um but yeah, I'd say both both of those artists were were two artists that really, you know, before I sort of found my own my own style and sort of began my own career, were, were two people that I enjoyed visiting, uh, you know, seeing their works in and around London and, and up in Liverpool as well. So I'm 
interested in what you were saying with regards to being able to see art and your own style is mm. quite accessible. Yeah. Well, I find it quite accessible. Yeah, yeah, sure. Right. And so do you think there's something about black British art, which is because I'm thinking, um, Lynette, you look at um, Chris Ophelia's work and it seems to be something which is a bit, can be quite mo- a bit more accessible to the general public, mm-hmm. you know. Is that a feature of black British art or less so? Is it, are we trying to connect with our communities or, or not so much? Um, or Rihanna, do you have a view on that? Britishness, I believe for black people, I could say generally or for myself, but I think it's general, is an incomplete um, and subordinate project. It's unstable, it's temporal, especially this concept of citizenship. So you are having people continue to assert themselves or invert their identities, be independent and forging something new constantly against a lot of friction. And so a specific style and aesthetic may develop. It may. Someone could point it out, but I wouldn't I won't be able to name place any one thing. Even the frigative, the idea of painting black bodies themselves is not what all black artists do, especially even though they're expected to. Some are conceptual and fictive. And some are not, some are abstract and expressionist. The difference is the legibility. And for most audiences, not white, just most, to recognise black people, they have to see us through our bodies. They cannot imagine for a shape or a colour what it may mean to represent ourselves. And so it limits the kind of work they would recognise as black British, most namely is photography. For instance, I had to fight for painting to be the cover of my book and not photography, because that's what they recognise as black British art. They wouldn't think there are other mediums that they do just as well that require you know, time and medium and paints studied are not cheap and a certain level of investment. Not that documentary photography is not fine. And of course it is because that film is not cheap. Mm. It is different and they expect us to be like, yeah, you can shoot your community. You can be natural observers, but can you paint? Can you do studies? Can you sketch? And that's quote unquote real art. Okay, so that's really interesting. So you're saying that um, for for black people, we are we are seen at, through our own physicality. Mm-hmm. And so a lot of the time our art or what is accepted as our art is not doing landscapes or not doing um, more abstract. Mm-hmm. It, it needs to be mediated through either portraiture or, um, you know, paintings or photography, which actually is more figurative, is actually of our exactly. physical bodies and showing black bodies in mm-hmm. particular. Okay. Okay, I've, I've learned something new today. I, I love having these these conversations. You know, one of the things you uh, mentioned earlier, Rihanna, was the idea of different generations. You talked about the generation that was maybe born in the Caribbean, mm-hmm. and then were living in um, uh, in Britain. So that would be like my mother's generation. Then you talked about the second generation, which would be my generation. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm slightly older than I think both of you, so I don't know which generation you are. I don't want to hazard a guess. But um, I have quite a bit of Ashton's art listening. <laughs> I absolutely love your work. And a lot of your work I recognise as being set in a British context. It's, it's right. The, the yeah, scenery yeah. seems very British. Yeah. You are drawing on a British experience. Okay. You're, you're thinking, you're contextualising your art within yeah. a British context. Yeah. Yeah, I I definitely would say that is that is the case. I uh you know, most of my artwork is inspired from like what is kind of in front of me or like what I first hand like interact with. 
Um, obviously, like I live here in like the UK, so you know I look outside my window and like. Unfortunately, I don't have like nice beaches and like, you know, palm trees and all of that as nice as it would be. Like I kind of illustrate, uh, you know, what what's in front of me. Um, I would say that, you know, with my work in particular, I try to represent or sort of celebrate different types of people. Um, a lot of my work is kind of about the LGBT community and like the black LGBT community and how that looks and how people like a lot of my friends and stuff exist in those spaces, um, which I imagine is completely different to, you know, some of the artists that we've mentioned um, who may, you know, paint or whatever, um, Trinidad or, you know, uh, they're, you know where they're from. Um, I think it all just comes down to like the connection that you do have with your environment or the the places that you, you know, you find yourself within. I think if I went over to Grenada, which is where my dad's from, um, and I brought, you know, my paints and my canvas, which is something I think would be really cool to do someday, I reckon my work would look completely different. Obviously, you know, the landscapes, the backgrounds would would mirror what's what would be in front of me in that moment. Um, but yeah, I think for now it's kind of more of a case of, uh, you know, trying to reinterpret the, the sort of landscapes and stuff that's, that I'm, that I'm faced with here in the UK. That's very interesting. And, and I think you should definitely go to Grenada and do that. Yeah. yeah. We have the Arts Council. Yeah, it would be cool. Let's put them into that. (laughs) Um, Frank Bowling is a good example of an artist who has made different kinds of work, depends on his setting. He wrote a lot about being in Guyana as an adult and seeing only very particular colours in Guyana that you couldn't imagine in the UK. Oh, cool. So moving himself was necessary Yeah, yeah in sure. that fact. Um, and actually that would be the case. Yeah, yeah. So, Arts Council. <laughs> do you think if we look at the different generations that maybe the subject matters that they're um, confronting, that they are, or confronting might be the wrong word, that they are, and the issues that they might be that coming into their art differs from generation to generation or the difference would be i mean the last hundred years of um modern new world history has been very eruptive so every five to ten years there would be a reason for you to sharply address a different political topic and it seems like there's progress or you've moved on but really it's just an accumulation of more isms and schisms on top of each other so we come to now a generation of ourselves who are dealing with the heaviness and brunt of that history and implications of it and then our own context is of a different kind of economic depression and political instability, which you'd assume, since we're not dealing with Thatcher and we're not dealing with migration in the same way and we're not dealing with X, Y and Z, that we should be better. Our subject matter should be more free and more expressive. We could talk about, yeah, being queer and happy and wearing pink, but there are plenty of other ways that it's just as urgent for us to address what happens when we turn on the TV and how it implicates our day-to-day lives through our art. I think there's just more space now for young people to do it in all kinds of ways that could be read through different kinds of visual cultures. I think films become a lot more important than it was in those past generations um, by technology changing, of course, but and accessibility. So it would change by generation, but not in the most obvious marked ways. So is, our, is black British art by definition political? Can you produce black British art that isn't political? I don't know how to separate 
the political from many and all things we do is is inherent the way most things are is informed by multiple thoughts and opinions and so that's political instinctively even if I choose not to address what may be considered a marginalised identity it's still political that I've chosen to do that in its essence so black British artists I would like to have the freedom to not even contend with politics explicitly and understand that they're making in itself is a position especially when they assert themselves as black artists not doing the obviously quote-unquote black thing as you do lots of um work for major brands yeah sure you know um so when you're doing something for you've done work for adidas yeah you've done work for uh costa the the brit awards um disney there's quite a lot (laughs) quite a lot of brands yeah when you're doing that because these are obviously commercial clients that you're working do you see your work as being political? Uh, it's a really good question. I think, um, like, my work being created by, like, like I'm part of the LGBT community as well, um, and obviously, like, you know, black as well. So those two things uh, would, would be, uh, I guess, seen as um, sort of like a minority identity, which, you know... That is what it is. And, like, you know, my work in general does feature and, like, celebrate and represent a lot of other marginalised identities, like the LGBT community. Like, um, you know, I always like to feature lots of different skin tones in my characters. Um, You know, a lot of the themes in my work can be quite, I guess, political, from, you know, trans issues to, to, to racism to you know, gender equality to just general sort of LGBT issues as well. Um, however, like one thing I always was like trying to be very conscious about in doing is making my work uh, sort of uplifting and joyful at the same time. Like I think uh, when I was a student, a lot of the sort of political work that I was looking at, artwork, uh, it tended to be quite heavy and dark the way that it was uh, actually portrayed visually and I wanted to make sure that when I, you know, made work that was talking about important things, wasn't actually, you know, visually to look at very heavy. I wanted it to look, you know, accessible that people can just look at and think, yeah, that looks that looks really nice. But also to carry a message that if it's relevant to you or if you don't understand it, it provides the opportunity for people to to ask questions and have discussion and, you know, um, you know, just create space for sort of conversation. Um, I wouldn't say that, um, you know, uh, on a conscious level that I um, sort of try to make big statements with my work, but at the same time, every piece of work that I do is important um, and it does say something. Um, So, yeah, I think it's kind of, with my work, it's almost a balance between uh, sort of creating joy and creating, uh, you know, happiness where people can uh, see themselves and, and, and feel celebrated, but also, you know, create the space for, for sort of conversation and, you know, discussion as well. I mean, I, I personally love um, the, you know, and maybe I'm reading, you know, art is in the eye of the beholder yeah, and is course, interpreted, obviously, but, you know, I I personally love the range of skin tones that, yeah, that you use, yeah. which for me addresses um, shadism, and yep. colorism within the black community in yeah. a very playful way for sure for um, sure you know and uh, i'd i'd say that um your your work don't stay in your lane mm-hmm. um which you won the evening standard Art um Prize. 
yeah. you know, that definitely, <laughs> just the title alone, yeah. <laughs> um, seemed to, you know, while it, while it was a lot of fun, it was, yeah. it, it's for people who haven't seen the piece of work, I'd recommend that you Google it, don't stay in your lane. Yeah. Um, but it's of swimmers. Yeah. Um, and it, on the one hand, it is very playful, but yeah. on the other hand, it definitely seems to have a quite overt message. Yeah, for sure. Like the whole thing with that piece was about, yeah, like transgender swimmers and how, you know, society kind of forces people into a box. But with that, you know, each swimmer was a different like skin tone. Like they all had different skin tones. And like, again, something that I sort of made the conscious decision to do when I sort of like found my style was not just to have like black and white characters, but like multiple shades of like black characters. Because I think like, I don't know, before that, any work that I'd seen or like illustrations that I'd seen, like this was kind of prior like 2017, I guess, like when I first started doing this, I didn't really see too much uh, like variation in skin tone in artwork. Like if I'd go to a gallery, it was like mainly just like white sort of people painted or if it was, uh, like, if there was, like, some artwork featuring black people, it would kind of just feel like, okay, there's just, like, one black person there. But it never felt that diverse or, like, inclu- like inclus- inclusive of different types of, of skin tones. So, yeah, you know, I think with, with art in general that I try to create, I, I always like to sort of try and represent as, di- as many different uh, people as, as possible within the community. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now, and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. MintMobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45, equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply, if rated PG. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Spring is my favorite time to start a new workout routine. With the weather warming up, it feels easier to get into the rhythm of things. Whether you have 20 minutes or an hour for a Pilates class or outdoor guided walk, Peloton has everything you need to help you get going. Get a head start on summer with Peloton at OnePeloton.com. Uh, Ashton was talking about um, trans and LGBTQ, and you, um, Rihanna, were talking um, when you're talking about the YBAs, the young British artists, you're talking about how they were predominantly white and male. Mm-hmm. Um, I'd be curious as to, with black British art, 
does it suffer from a um, agenda problem? Well, Black British art, any industry or sector, sits within the world's wider structure. So there's no way that's obsolete of racism and shadism and colorism and any others that pop up. So there's nothing spited in the black art world that's happening because of, you know, everyone's particular flagrances. They're only repeating what's done elsewhere. Black women are marginalized as a full stop, not just in the art world or in this or by these black male artists that have more power and success. No, I wouldn't be like, believe it's that spited in an individualistic way. It's the power structures that everyone plays into for the hopes of success. You know, the stakes are very high right now to be a visual artist anywhere, at least for as a black British person. So it may ally for some kind of backbiting and callous behaviour, but that's micro compared to all the things that are happening around us that we're not even aware of that are affecting sectors. When you're saying stakes are very high, what do you mean by that? There's never been this obvious accessible power and prestige. There's never been all these positions for black people to assume themselves into and fill that kind of figurehead position and feeling good about themselves and seeing that as an idea of progress anyway, to have these nominal black figures everywhere. So when there are only 10 people are allowed every 10 years, it becomes very um, another fictitious space to work in where you're looking for peers and colleagues and mentors if people have this idea of there can only be some of us. And that's just how it is, but it's not the widest thing affecting the black British art space. It's just these are the micros that we do to each other as being taught by somebody else. I'm going to jump around my questions a little bit. So with Instagram and, you know, I'm often seeing your work, um, Ashton, on, on Instagram. How has Instagram, social media, digital art actually changed the artistic process? Um, so I'll start with you, Ash. Yeah, sure. I think, um, you know, like a lot of things, uh, obviously as well, art has sort of become digital, or not become digital, but become more digital uh it's more accessible now to to see art in a digital way and like to share art in a digital way um I think like myself uh I a lot of sort of people that I know like black uh queer British artists that I work with or or know or you know just sort of sort of friends and stuff it's really nice because like we can all like obviously keep in contact there and you know, I get to see their work and like what they're getting up to. So I think in that way, it's really good because it provides an almost like online community or like network. Um, you know, we kind of all support one another. You know, um, there was someone who uh, um, at the Evening Saturday Art Prize I met there who done a, an amazing uh, painting. Their name is uh, Shola um, and they also do, um, she does a lot of amazing work and um, paintings as well, sort of like, you know, capturing sort of, um, you know, LGBT black uh, relationships and things like that and sort of community spaces. I think, you know, for me personally, uh, creating artwork, I started off as a painter, like that's kind of how I started off doing like acrylic paintings on canvases and that's that's still what I do. But I think, especially over the pandemic as well, and relying on uh, sort of digital spaces just in general to connect with others, I do think that my work has has become more digital, and like I said, it, it comes with a lot of with a lot of bonuses. Uh, over the first year of the uh, pandemic, so like sort of twenty twenty, I worked with uh, it was like an international online exhibition that sort of I think it, it involved an element of like virtual reality, which was really cool, and all the like participating artists were all um, uh, like 
black uh, artists. I think a lot of them were actually based in the UK. Uh, sorry, in um, in the USA, and there was also myself from the UK. Um, but that was a really nice way, again, with sort of branching out and, and meeting different people online. So I think, yeah, like just to reiterate, it can be a really good tool of a really good tool um, in terms of like connecting um, and staying in touch with with other people that you may not have been able to without that. And so I've I've got to ask because we're you know talking about the digital space. Mm-hmm. Um, now I'm curious about our relationship, Black British people's relationship with the Caribbean and with mm-hmm. Africa. I think um, just before you came to the studio, Rihanna, that you're heading off to Jamaica. Yes, next week. Okay. <laughs> so, you know, to use the example of, of Chris Feely again, you know, he famously used elephant dung in his work. And I think that the dung was from African elephants. So it was showing a connection. And he's from West Africa, or is, he is of West African heritage. And so it's showing um, maybe a, a link to West Africa. But he then moved to Trinidad. So it, there's a diasporic movement you know, um, and you're obviously going to to Jamaica. So, how much does Africa still inform our work? How much does the Caribbean inform our work? Is there those connections? Are we constantly making those connections? The Caribbean, in particular, is a unique example of a double diaspora, and his summit Stuart Hall also articulated um, being forcibly removed from the continent and then being required under again economic pressure to remove themselves from this new mother, land and country, coming to this place. There isn't another diaspora group that's had to do that. Um, our continental African friends have moved, again, economic pressures and migration and context of colonialism from the continent to the US, Canada and the UK. And then it's just that one gap that's missing. And the same with black Americans escape that, quote unquote, side of colonialism, but also have been fixed and rooted in one place only and have to make that work. So I'm for, I don't see how anybody cannot dig about elsewhere when it comes to Black Britain. The idea and concept is too new. And we are a very old group of people to say the using word old, that's shit more than old. So we've only been here in mass numbers for 70 to 80 years or so. It couldn't be possible that this is our only reference point. Um, that's a very, no, it's not possible. So most artists are referencing elsewhere. I think it's interesting how we've moved, but also how we return back. These places. Um, I'm British born, first generation, and my parents are both Jamaican migrants. Um, I've never not been attached to that part of the region or the country. It's just as an adult, I've chosen the new way to do it independently, as someone with dual nationality and choosing to work there in particular, hence why I get to go. That's all, like I said, set intentions. Even people who can't or don't do that doesn't mean they're not also reaching back. Yeah. And do you think that's um, a reaching back? in terms of just references or are we, as I said, I think you're going to look at exhibition work in, in Jamaica. So you're yes. actually going professionally. Like the National Gallery there that we have, there's a grand National Gallery um, that we have in Jamaica, one of its kind in the Anglophone with a huge collection of works. So I'm working with them to instate an archive for one of our first directors and curators from the 70s who passed away recently. So this is, again, cultural work that needs to get done quite underhanded historical but it needs to be a joint effort we need the diaspora and the region to work together to get these things done so is black british work in informing caribbean artists is a caribbean artist informing um black british artists is there 
as well, I mean, obviously, we are we are all drawing on our heritage. Every artist draws on their heritage, but I'm just wondering if there's um, uh, more direct links as we're. My generation, I say, my I'm thirty, so between us millennials, whatever that means, and under, it, the social media has flattened that access. So yes, a Jamaican artist now is able to find a Black British artist online, and vice versa, and decide what kind of connection or collaboration they want to have. That happens all the time, and the same with the continent. Instagram can be one click away from changing your entire trajectory. So for us, it works that way. Yeah. Before then, a lot more difficult. I think, was it Marlene Smith, also part of the Black British Arts Movement and the Black Art Group from the 80s, spoke about writing to Frank Bolin as a teenager because she was told in art school that there are no such things as a black artist, you can't write about black artists. And she didn't know his name and wasn't able to somehow get an address for his studio. And he responded by sending her like small prints yeah. and sketches and she was able to use that as a reference to counteract what she was told by this British teacher. We don't have to do all of that. Yeah. Back yeah, and forth. True. We can guess it quite quickly. So one of the things when Lenny, Henry and I decided to um, co-edit the Black British Lives Matter book mm. and with this podcast as well, is that we didn't want to be defined by the racism which we experience. Sure. You know, so that was still to acknowledge the racism. We're not trying to say that we don't suffer racism. Yeah. But we wanted to make sure that the debate expanded beyond that. And you were talking about um, black joy in, yeah. in your work. So that definitely chimes with some of the things that we're trying to do. Having said that, I think it would be remiss of us not to talk about racism directly. So in terms of racism in the art world, have um, either of you directly experienced racism in the art world? And um, what are some of the major problems facing black artists? I mean, in answer to that question, no, I personally haven't experienced racism, um, which is, you know, it's great. I'm glad I haven't. I'm not going to say it doesn't go on because it absolutely does. Um, but I personally haven't experienced it. Um, I know that... You know, other people, other friends and stuff um, have experienced it more in a kind of, uh, what do you call it, like educational setting, I guess, like being artists at, at their unis and stuff like that, um, you know. But I think, yeah, of course it, it of course it does go on and I think it, it can affect people in an all, like in a, in a whole range of ways, whether it's like, you know, exhibition opportunities or commission opportunities or just people being downright horrible Um but, uh, yeah, I, I can't say that I have experienced it, which, you know, is, is, is a good thing. Um, I've experienced racism at, at different parts of my life, uh, especially at school, but not, not, not it being an artist um, in my career so far. Okay. Rihanna? The most racist things to happen to me in general, I'm simply not aware of. In the art world, I can think as someone working since, maybe more formally since 25 I'm 30 years old now. The racism has exemplified itself in the places I've been invited to, the places that I don't know exist, what I've been awarded and what I've been denied. I have felt the impacts of it, even if I don't know declaratively what it was at that time, because these are things that are happening around me, again, as a structure, not unique to art world people, but just a wider fit of the world. So within the arts, the tradition is white, European men in the Enlightenment period deciding what value and aesthetics are and that is still the centre and we're still just pushing against this core idea of that humanism and importance sits with that figure 
and constantly having to reject that or go against it. So the art world sits in that, but not again because there's some magic conundrum happening in the art world that doesn't happen elsewhere. But yes, for me, it would just have to be a wagon. That would be a different podcast. Can we just talk about being a dark-skinned black woman in the art world in Britain in particular? It's very different for me in the US. But that's like I said, that's a different podcast. So you're saying that it's um, it would be remiss of us to try and think that we're trying to talk about, I don't know, um, racism in terms of some NF National Front person trying to destroy your art right. or, um, but, or yeah. Ku Klux Klan trying to burn your paintings. Exactly. Yeah, it's sure. more the actual framing as to what art is is valued, the framing as to what is given, what is seen as good art, yeah. um, etc. So it's it's the the Eurocentric values which actually frame the entire art world um, is the far larger um, issue rather than individual acts of, of racism. There are implications, of course. You have personal implications and professional when it is individual, but we have, again, very high stakes when you think about a wider space and people. Okay. Now, you've um, both mentioned some, some wonderful artists, but and so we always like to end our podcast on a on a high. Um, what are some of the exhibitions that um, either of you are excited about, are going to, have gone to recently? There have been important exhibitions. I cannot say I've enjoyed them more. That's me speaking as the art critic I am. Since 2017, Soul of a Nation completely changed the reception oh, yeah. of black art in this world. And Soul of a Nation was explicitly about work made in the context of black art and black power in the US. And so again, this is a showcase of non-black British art in Britain being received very well and over, and sometimes in preference to quote-unquote um, local black people here. So, sort of nation, that was at Tate Modern, Tate wasn't Modern it? Tate Modern, 2017, And yes. that was more African-American mm-hmm. art being showcased in... So is there sometimes being showcased... Um, in, in the Tate Modern, is there sometimes a problem of uh, the art world in Britain um, uh, privileging, privileging mm-hmm. African-American or black artists elsewhere elsewhere, as opposed to championing... Absolutely. It gives um, them a nice distance. Indigenous black. Right. Uh, indigenous a might not be the right word, right. But, <laughs> black, but black British <laughs> artists. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, that's a given. It's easier to critique whiteness from afar have a bird's eye view and to like point fiercely at America as the structure of white supremacy rather than themselves as their empire where the sun never sets. It's just easier. That's had to change again via backlash and people having to speak about their position in this country and needing to be supported and acknowledged. But Soul of a Nation was that turning point and that was a very important exhibition for me. I didn't have an issue with it being staged, but it just pointed to the wider structure issues we have past that some Frank Bolin was then at Tate Britain the following year. Lynette was programmed, again, interrupted by COVID. Lebena, Hamid, and etc. It has obviously completely changed, but I know what that spinning point was. Lebena won the Turner Prize that year. The place of here, which was around the Black British arts movement, was travelling. This momentum just bubbled into one big burst, and I've never seen this kind of eagerness around Black British art in my life, and I've been going to galleries since I was 18 in this country that sounds encouraging oh it's it's something <laughs> okay okay 
I'd just like to say that, again, for people that are listening, right, there was a big smile there. <laughs> and and, and I'm, seeing, I'm seeing smiles again. So I'll, I'll take that as, as encouraging. Okay, great. Final, final question. Um, in terms of people that want to, to follow you, want to know um, uh, what work you're up to, what exhibitions you're critiquing, um, Rihanna, um, how can people, I'll, I'll start with you, Rihanna, What's the best way for people to follow your work or follow what you're what you're doing? Well, thankfully, I'm much more well behaved on Twitter these days, so I will I will offer that now. <laughs> Maybe not two years ago. <laughs> My name is Jamaicans Online, which is spelt the original Taino and Arawak version for Jamaica before the Spanish, before the English came. So that is X A Y M A C A N X, but the word itself is Jamaicans. Um, you can. I'll post a lot more exhibitions. I used to do that, and there are plenty more coming up. So I do try my best to keep a little of a mood board or pin board there of things that are popping up because I get dozens of emails per day um, about this. Okay, nice. and if people want to keep up with your work or know what you're doing, Ashton. Yeah, I'm exclusively like I've literally just used Instagram, so uh, you guys can find me at. Uh, it's a dot a t t z s and then an underscore on the end. Uh, so yeah, that's where I am. I post all my art and everything that I'm up to on my Instagram. Okay, great, Ashton, Rihanna. Thank you so much for joining me today and explaining exactly why Black British art matters. And I've definitely learned a lot. Um, I don't think I will ever go to a gallery. Definitely won't go scroll through Instagram in in quite the same way, and I will tentatively, although you're telling me you're behaving far better on Twitter, so I will tentatively go on Twitter and and check out, um, you know, Jamaicans online. Thank you. Um, Thank you. Black art is definitely part of our identity and culture and who we are. So thank you so much, both of you. Thank you. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. So Lenny, let me know what you thought of Black British Art Matters episode. That was a serious episode, you know. Listen, you've been to my house, so you know how much I love supporting black British artists. But Ashton and Rihanna mentioned a few names I hadn't heard before. I feel like I need to go to a few galleries right now, this minute, and check them out and maybe even make a few purchases with one and two pounds. <laughs> maybe there's a barter thing going on. <laughs> Lenny, you know you have deeper pockets than I do. So I'll leave the purchasing for you. But I will still go to a few art galleries and check out the stuff myself. Listen, there is some very affordable and brilliant black British art out there, you know. I feel we should all support black British artists. I just love the way they were able to explore the whole black British experience through the different artists, which I guess is the whole point of this podcast. And on that note, I guess our job here is done. You guessed correctly, or at least put on pause. Listen, podcast listeners, what Marcus is trying to say is that this is the last ever episode in the current series of Black British Lives Matter, the podcast. (laughs) Don't worry, you can go out and buy the Black British Matter book and we hope you enjoyed listening to the podcast as much as we enjoyed making it. Don't forget, go get the book now. Black British Lives Matter by Lenny Henry and Marcus Ryder. We are the curators. We are the writers of the storm. Buy the book now. <laughs> Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, 
Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hey, folks, I'm Mark Marin from the WTF Podcast, and this episode is brought to you by Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues, your ally to help tackle your allergy symptoms this season. I love the change of seasons, but nobody loves pollen and all those other things floating in the air that make you sneeze during this nice weather. Kleenex Ultra Soft Tissues are hypoallergenic and allergist approved. So fight back against watery eyes and runny noses without worrying about irritating your skin. For this allergy season, grab Kleenex and face allergies head on. 